We're in the midst of a, as I said last week, a mini-series called Postures of Peace. And it's a series that helps us think about during all the anxiousness that's in our world and all the anxiousness that's in our lives to have an attitude that, well, is peaceful and is uh, having an attitude and a frame of mind that causes us, no matter what's going on, uh, to have a peace within us, uh, to live in such a way that we know somehow, way, things are going to be all right. And so uh, last week we talked about uh, Psalm 46. And uh, Psalm 46 uh, says, be still and know that I am God. Be still so that you know and hear the quiet voice of God telling you that I am your refuge. I am your strength no matter what, that I am here that you're beloved. So what wonderful news that is. And today we're going to talk about uh, some attitudes and some actions that lend itself for us being in a posture of peace, being in a posture of peace. And so we're going to talk about uh, Psalm 37, the Psalm of David. So here now, Uh, the word of the Lord. We're not going to read all of it. We're going to just read certain portions of it, as you see on the screen, verses 1 to 11 and 20 to 24. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so we live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He'll make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in the way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land." A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently, their place will not be there. But the meek will inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Now on to verse 20. The wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrow and do not pay back, but the righteous are generous and keep giving. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Our steps are made firm by the Lord when he delights in our way. Though we stumble, we shall not fall headlong, for the Lord holds us by his hand. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Scholars tell us that Psalm 37 sounds a lot like the book of Proverbs. You know, if you've read the book of Proverbs, it, it talks about ways that you can live a godly life, ways that you can live a prosperous life, ways that you can live a life that, well, is full of prosperity and peace. And Psalm 37 sounds a whole lot like a proverb. It has all sorts of truths in it that tell us that if you follow these ways, well, you're going to have a a good life. You're going to have a prosperous life. You're going to have a life that is filled with peace. And there's a lot to unpack here. A lot. So we're, we're not going to do it all because, it, well, I know some of y'all want to go to the alternative gift market and some of y'all want to go to Sunday school and some of y'all, well, you might have something that you want to bake for dinner tonight. At the, so we're not going to go through all of it, but we'll, we'll get some of the highlights. And 
I don't know about you, but what caught my ear when I first read this is that he'll give you the desires of your heart. Oh my goodness, the desires of your heart. Lord, is that true? Well, I'm going to head to the gas station and get me a lottery ticket. You know, I cannot wait. You know, you're going to give me that. And and yes, I will give some to the the generosity initiative if I I do win. Yeah, the desires of our hearts. We we get that big bank account. We want the big car. Oh, the big house. You know, we we want all these things because we we in our country desire these things. These are the things that we long for. This is what we are, are told will make us happy and successful. And maybe I'll be a little less selfish in some of my desires. I'd like a little more hair so it's not glaring so much in the spotlight here. So you're not having to squint when you look at me. What an unselfish desire, you know? You know? Yeah. So uh, you can thank me for that. I desire my, my heart being that. Yeah. You know, there are all sorts of desires of our hearts out there. And we wonder, well, God, you know, this is what I desire. Why aren't you giving it to me? Some of our desires may be... Well, bless my family, bless my children, bless the folks around me, bless my dog, you know, bless us, Lord. Some may be a little less mercenary, like God desire my hearts to have our family reunited again, or to have our relationships healthy and whole, to be reconciled with those whom I've been in disagreement with. Those are some desires maybe that are not so mercenary. But what does it mean for us to have the desires of our hearts? Did you notice what it said right beforehand? Delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Then the desires of your heart will come. What's it mean to delight in the Lord? It really, it literally means to take pleasure in the Lord. To take pleasure in the Lord that you are happy to be in the Lord's presence, to delight in the Lord above all things else, above uh, our delight in our family and our spouse and our hobbies and our job, delight in the Lord above all else. And that means that we do as we talked about last week, come before the Lord and be silent before him to let him be able to whisper into our hearts his words of grace and love and truth to us so that our hearts are molded into his image for us, his desires for us. For when we relate to the Lord and we stand before the Lord and we're silent before the Lord, well, something in us changes. Some of y'all are old enough to remember Charlton Heston. Any of y'all, some of y'all remember, yeah, some of y'all remember Charlton, yeah, 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 okay. Some, some of y'all do. Some of you that, uh, that don't remember him or know who he is, just watch the movie Ten Commandments, and the, the, the old movie, The Ten Commandments, and, and uh, you know who I'm talking about. He's a great actor of, I'd hate to say this, of a previous generation. And he was interviewed one time about, you know, he played several religious parts throughout um, his his career, and, he's, and the interviewer asked him, said, did these change your mind about faith? And he thought a minute, said, you know, when I played Moses, it's hard to go up barefoot to Mount Sinai and come back down and not be a changed person. That's true. When we 
go up to the Mount Sinai within our hearts, when we go up and spend time with the Lord and we're really silent before the Lord and listen to the Lord, it's difficult not to come back down from that mountaintop experience and not be changed by it. So we delight in the Lord. We have our minds and hearts changed by the Lord. And guess what? Then, well, the desires of our hearts are his desires. A prayer we should say, and not a bad prayer to utter to God, is this, Lord, make my heart like your heart. Make my heart's desire your heart's desire for me. And guess what? The one who made us knows what's best for us. God doesn't just want good for us, not the better for us. God wants the best for us. God wants what is the ultimate good for us. And so when we pray the prayer, Lord, I want your desire for my heart. We're wanting really selfishly what is ultimately best for us, don't we? Because we are created by God for a plan and a purpose that God has in mind for us. And when we desire what he wants, well, we get, we get rich blessings. Y'all might remember uh, the story from 1 Kings chapter 3. In it, uh, Solomon has just become king. And he is told by God, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon utters a prayer that's within the desires of God's heart for his heart. You might remember the prayer. He says this, Lord, doesn't say it this way, but I'll paraphrase it in my way of thinking. Lord, I'm too dumb to lead these people on my own. So give me a heart of wisdom so that I might rightly rule your people. Y'all remember that? Shake your head, yes, say that you're awake. Yeah, 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 yes. He does ask for that. And guess what? God not only gives him wisdom because God is greatly pleased with this prayer, he gives him much more riches and honor and glory. You know, when we desire what God desires, we're going to be so blessed in ways that we cannot comprehend. Desire what God desires, and you'll get the desire of your heart because our desires will be his desires. And that's ultimately best for us. It says, uh, commit your way to the Lord and you will act. And he, God will act. God will act. Excuse me. You know, uh, I hear tell that I have a football team that I follow in the college ranks. If you even looked at the scores yesterday, uh, uh, I think I could have played better than the team that I follow. By the way, those of you new here, I'm an Auburn Tiger fan. So anyways, uh, but I do follow them pretty closely. And at this time of year, there's all this word about athletes committing to certain schools. And, you know, you hear about the, uh, schools like mine trying to get four or five-star athletes. Well, they're not anymore. So, we, you know, we'll get whoever we can get. They might even recruit me. Uh, you know, the, but we, we try to get these great athletes. And, and we, we hear about them that they make a verbal commitment to the good school that they should go, be going to. And then you hear about these dirty, rascal other coaches coming, trying to Flip the commit. Yeah, any of you all familiar with that? They, they, this, other, this other team goes out there and says, well, you know, you may be committed to that great school that I follow and support, but, you know, 
guys that have names that are similar to the evil one, but just changing a B for the T, and you know who I'm talking about. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, yes, and they try to lure that player away. For these players have made a verbal commitment. It's kind of like us sometimes, isn't it? We come to church and you, you're inspired by the wonderful music like we heard just a bit ago. And you're inspired by the, the fellowship. And every now and then you might hear something in a sermon that might make you think. And you say, you know, Lord, I, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to commit to you. I'm, I'm giving my verbal consent to I'm going to go home and read my Bible. I'm going to go pray more. I'm going to help more. I'm going I'm to give more uh, to the church and to the poor. I'm going to do all these type things. And then, well, you hear the other coach starting to whisper in your ear. You really think that that's going to make you happy? You know, you get distracted by uh, these things called riches and fame and glory, or we get ourselves busy doing all sorts of stuff. And, well, that commitment that we made soon falls away, right? But if we truly commit our ways to the Lord, well, God will act. And God will provide for us more than we could ever Imagine, because we see, as it says several times throughout this, this psalm, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, and, and He will provide. Trust in the Lord as you commit to Him, and He will graciously lead you. Trust in the Lord. For when you commit to something, you're saying that you are going to trust, right? This trust that I'm picturing here, and I see here, is kind of like, a trust that a, a little child has with his or her parent. Now, as I start to use this uh, description, I know there may be some person within the sound of my voice, either here or, or tuning in online, that trust in a parent is something that you really never were able to have. That there was some brokenness in that relationship. There was something that happened within your, uh, your family growing up that caused you not to be able to trust in a parent. And, so please hear me. I pray and hope that you have found a relationship like I'm about to describe of ultimate trust here on this earth, someone that you uh, should be able to hold on to no matter what, like a, a good parent with his or her child. Maybe it's a grandparent, maybe it's another trusting adult. I hope you've been able to find that and find healing for that brokenness. But when I think about this trust, that God wants for us to have. I, I think about a good relationship with a father or a mother where whenever a parent says, let's go, the child says, I'm ready, let's go. Because the child knows that that mother or that daddy is gonna be taking that kid to somewhere that's gonna be great. It's gonna be best for that child because the child knows that he is infinitely loved. You can imagine like this, if any of you all had to learn to swim and had a parent helping to do that, or you've helped a child learn to swim, you're standing there on the edge of the pool or the lake or wherever it happens to be, or around here around the ice, but I won't get me started on that. Uh, you know, you, you, you trust because, well, that parent's in, standing on the side of the water and saying, jump in, honey, the water's great. 
And the child does because why? That child trusts that the parent is there and it's going to be okay. That's what it means to trust in the Lord. That knowing that that child is surrounded by ultimate good and that this, this loving father whose imagery is both father and mother throughout the scriptures wants your very best. So we can trust and therefore we can commit our ways to the Lord knowing that he's going to act on our behalf for our best even when life around us is so tough. So we we commit our ways to the Lord. We uh, give ourselves uh, to the Lord. We commit to the Lord. And as we do those type of things, we get this attitude that sometimes is belittled in our society, this, this meekness that the psalmist talks about, that you shall inherit the earth. Jesus talks about this in the Beatitudes. The meek will inherit the earth. We, we don't think too much of meekness, do we? That's something that we look down upon. If you all remember the, the old show MASH about the 4077th mobile hospital uh, there during the Korean War. And there is Father Mulcahy and he was passed over for a promotion and he was very upset by this. That he, he, all of his friends were getting promoted. Why didn't he get promoted? And Colonel Potter was upset too. And so Colonel Potter got on the phone and called up the Pentagon and was yelling at him because, you know, Father Mulcahy got passed over for promotion. He should have got promoted. Well, son of a gun, Colonel Potter's uh, yelling and screaming, got Father Mulcahy promoted. And as he's getting his captain's bars pinned upon his shoulders, he said this. He said, I know that the meek inherit the earth, but those who complain get promoted, Right? <laughs> That's right, isn't it? I mean, see, in our day and time, you know, we, we don't think about the people that are meek and mild. Not, you know, we think about those guys that are assertive, that they're going to get out there, they get their rights, and they demand everything. And because, well, you know, meekness is someone's just going to hiding off there in the corner. But what's this about inheriting the earth? Meekness, as described in Scripture, doesn't mean someone that is shriveled behind a rock or hiding out or being uh, scared. No, a meek person in the biblical way of understanding is somebody who's directed by something greater than himself. The imagery used in scripture is that of a horse with a bridle being led to where it needs to go. A horse with being led by a bridle going where it needs to go, someone that is ultimately within the will of God, following after the direction of God, not seeking after its own interest, but the interest of something greater than itself. Unselfish is a way to describe someone as meek, someone who is willing to do his duty. And in this being led, Following after the will of God, we see that, well, that person is doing something that is beyond his own interest, but for a greater interest, to find the ultimate path of peace. Dante, who wrote 
the Inferno. That's what we know him mainly for. It was a great theologian too. And he said this great line, this wonderful line, in his will is our peace. In his will is our peace. So someone who is meek, being led by God, following after the will of God, even when it might uh, not seem like in his own best interest, that person ultimately is at peace. Doesn't mean that a, a person who's meek doesn't, doesn't have emotions. In fact, a meek person uh, can have emotion, can get angry. You know, the, David says here, do not get angry, but a meek person doesn't get angry at the things that necessarily are offensive to him personally. But as Theophant, the great theologian of the 11th century Byzantine Empire said this, he is angry only at the things that he ought to be angry. That means being cut off in traffic or the things that irritate us, a meek person doesn't let bother him. Only angry at that which he should be angry. And Robert Criddle in, his, in a book said this, that his only fear is that of being hateful. I like that. You know, he's only afraid of being hateful. So a meek person who trusts in God, who desires after the things of God, who trusts and is committed to God, well, that person naturally sees everything in a perspective greater than his own light and his own life. And that person's naturally generous. Did you see what David said there? The righteous are generous. The righteous realize that what they have is not their own. The righteous realize that their responsibility is greater than their own lives, and they give freely to the people and the needs around them. Again, I compared this psalm to Proverbs. Proverbs 22 said this, the generous will be blessed. And one of my favorite verses in all the scripture comes from Isaiah 58. It says this, those who spend themselves on the hungry and satisfy the needs of those who are oppressed, their light will shine in the darkness and their night will be like noonday. God himself will lead them and provide for their every need. Wow. A meek person is a generous person because that person has committed one's way to the Lord. That person trusts in the Lord and desires to have the desires of God. And such a person, no matter what happens, is at peace. This past week, I had coffee with Dale Williams. And, uh, you know, Dale's such a great guy. And you've heard him speak in this place. And you've heard him, if you come to 11 o'clock, play the organ so beautifully. And we, and we gather every now and then to, to talk about things. And he uh, gave me this great quote that I remember from my days of studying John Wesley. Uh, he said this, um, that Wesley gave me, the, Dale Williams gave me this Wesley quote. Let me say it that way. My people, Wesley said, die well. My people die well. Why is that? Because they're at peace. 
They are generous. They live a meek life, a life being directed and guided by the will of God. They are people who've committed their ways to the Lord. They are people who uh, trust in the Lord and desire the Lord. And therefore, they are not afraid. Their actions and their attitudes lead them to a way of peace. You ever know anybody like that? You ever know anybody like that? I got my addiction to turkey hunting naturally from a fella named Hugh Prater. And Hugh was a person like I have described. Now, he was a gentle man, a calm man, until you went on a turkey hunt with him. And uh, Hugh would, on a turkey hunt, we'd get there and hide out. If you've ever done that, you're on camouflage. And he had a big caper around him. And whenever one of us would get a bird, he would leap up like some superhero out of the blind and rush to that bird to go claim it for himself or for someone. And I mean, it was wild watching him because as I describe you, you're going to say, that doesn't sound like that fellow at all. That's the only time I ever saw him very excited because Hugh was all the things I just talked about. He was born in West Alabama during the Depression, went to the wrong school over in that part of the state, uh, but was able to then to go on to get his medical degree. Uh, he did his residency in dermatology at Duke University. No hisses from Carolina folks out there. And then he came back to Alabama and set up a very successful practice in Montgomery. Uh, Hugh uh, married, had children, and then great tragedy hit his life. His dear wife, Catherine, passed away. And though it shook his world, it did not, did not rock his life, his faith, for he still trusted in the Lord. Uh, Hugh did later on remarry, but I always knew Hugh as a godly, spiritual fellow, and except on, front, on a turkey hunt, <laughs> very calm and very wise and all that he did, a man just filled with peace, a man who was directed by God in all that he did, generous in every way. He set up a, a spiritual formation library there at First United Methodist Church in Montgomery, uh, filling it with books to help people grow in their personal relationship with the Lord. He was generous to the program that our church had set up to sponsor a, a tutoring program at an inner city school there in Montgomery. He was generous in every way to our capital campaign to build a new building there. And he was generous to me personally. Yes, blessing our family, some family with some financial resources, but with his time, his guidance and his wisdom as an older saint down the road uh, who shared with me his faith, an example to me. You know anybody like that? You know someone like that? Because people like that, well, they have a calm assurance in their relationship with their own lives, with their self, with the people around them, and with their Lord. Such persons like that, they don't just inherit the earth. They inherit an eternal kingdom. And they have a posture of peace because they are always in the presence of the Lord. 
You know anybody like that? May that be said of each person who I'm talking to right now, either here or online. May it be said of you, said of me, that we live such a life that we like the early followers of John Wesley, that we can die well. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we come seeking postures that will lead to peace within our own hearts, in our own lives. And we know, Father, that that first comes by delighting in you, by trusting in you, committing our way to you, so that we can be led like a horse led by its bridle to places that sometimes might seem scary, but Father, they're always for our ultimate good. Help us, Father, to know that you are with us as we still our hearts to seek you as a refuge so that we can go from here and living in a manner that brings honor and glory to you and peace and assurance to our souls. We ask all this and the ultimate sign of your love and your desire for our peace, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray.